0: Chapter fourteen of Leatherface, a Tale of Old Flanders. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Dion Jines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface, a Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orxy. Chapter 14. The Tyrants The next morning, at the tenth hour, five reverend signors presented themselves before the Duke of Alva, lieutenant-governor of the Low Countries, and captain-general of the forces, in the apartments which he occupied in Het Spanjard's Castile. They were Monsieur Pierre van Overbeck, vice-bailiff of Ghent, Monsieur de procurator-general, and messire jan van megrode chief sheriff of the cure then there was messire levin van Daines, the brewer at the sign of the star of the north and baron van grubendock chief financial adviser on the town council they had waited on his highness at a very early hour but had been kept waiting in the guardroom for two hours without a chair to sit on, and with a crowd of rough soldiers around them, some of whom were lounging about on the benches, others playing at cards or dice, whilst all of them improved the occasion and whiled away the time by indulging in insolent jests at the expense of the reverend burghers, who humiliated beyond forbearance and vainly endeavouring to swallow their wrath, did not dare to complain to the officer in command, lest worse insults be heaped upon them. At one hour before noon these seigneurs were at last told very peremptorily that they might present themselves before His Highness. They were marched between a detachment of soldiers through the castle yard, to the magnificent apartments in the Meest torren which at one time were occupied by the Counts of Flanders. Now the Duke of Alva's soldiery and his attendants were in every corridor and every anteroom. They stared with undisguised insolence at the grave seigneurs who belonged to the despised race. The lieutenant-governor was graciously pleased to receive the burghers in his council chamber, where, seated upon a velvet-covered chair, upon an elevated platform, and beneath a crimson dais, he looked down upon these free citizens of an independent state, as if he were indeed possessed of divine rights over them all. The officer in command of the small detachment which had escorted the deputation into the dreaded presence, now ordered the five seigneurs to kneel, and they, who had a petition to present and an act of mercy to entreat, obeyed with that proud humility wherewith their fathers had knelt thirty-two years ago in sackcloth and ashes before the throne of the Emperor Charles "'Your desire, signors," queried the duke curtly. Some of the members of his abominable grand council sat around him, on benches placed well below the level of the platform. Alberic del Rio was there, bland and submissive, President Viglius, General de Norcoms, and President Hessels, men who were as bitter against Orange and his followers.' as was Alva himself, and, sitting a little apart from the others, Don Juan de Vargas, but recently arrived from Brussels. Your desire, Signors, the duke had questioned peremptorily, and after a few moments, Monsieur Danute, the procurator-general, who was spokesman of the deputation, began timidly at first, then gradually, more resolutely, It is with profound grief, he said, that we became aware last night that your Highness's visit to our city was not one of good will and amity. Your Highness's severe restrictions upon our citizens, and stern measures taken against them, hath filled our hearts with sorrow. Your abominable treachery hath filled our heart with wrath," retorted the duke roughly. And nothing but the clemency enjoined upon us by our suzerain lord and king prevented us from reducing this accursed city to ashes and putting every one of her citizens to the sword without giving them a single chance of retrieving their hellish conduct by surrendering themselves unconditionally to our will." "'It is with the utmost confidence,' rejoined the Procurator-General humbly, "'that we rely upon the well-known clemency of our suzerain Lord the King "'and place the future of our beautiful city unconditionally in your Highness's hands. "'The future of the city is in my hands, Monsieur," said the Duke dryly, "'by the power of our suzerain Lord, and with the help Of the troops at my command. I told you last night under what condition I will spare your town from total destruction. I am not in the habit of changing my mind during the course of one night. Alas, your highness, but the city is quite unable to fulfill the one condition which would appease the wrath of our suzerain lord and your own then, retorted Alva haughtily, why waste my time, and your own, in bandying words which must remain purposeless? Either William of Orange is delivered into my hands, or my soldiers burn your city down at sunset to-morrow. By Our Lady, is that not clear enough? Clear enough, alas, rejoined the procurator-general, and suddenly, in his mind, There rose a picture of the tall man last night beneath the dais, of his inspiring words. His whole-hearted sacrifice, his ringing voice, seemed to echo through this narrow room, and some of the words which he spoke knocked at the gates of the grave signor's memory. "'Yours will be the harder task,' he had said gaily. You will have to fawn and to cringe to swallow your wrath and to bend your pride. Well, God knew that they had done all that. They had swallowed their wrath and bent their pride before an insolent soldiery, and now they were fawning and cringing to a tyrant whom they abhorred. Ghent, beloved city, once the home of the free, what must thy citizens endure for thy sake? And the procurator-general, the descendant of an hundred free men, had to lick the dust before Alva's throne. He forced his voice to tones of humility. He looked up at the tyrant with eyes full of unspoken devotion. What can we do, he said timidly, to prove our loyalty? I entreat your magnificence to look down on our helplessness. Orange is no longer in Ghent, and we do not know where to find him. A pretty tale indeed, interposed De Vargas suddenly, with a strident laugh which was echoed obsequiously by the other members round the council board. A pretty likely tale which I trust Your Highness will not think to believe. I neither believe nor disbelieve any tale which these grave signors choose to tell me, rejoined the duke, I want orange, or we burn this city down, till not a stone in it be left upon stone. And de Danute, whose entire soul rose in revolt against that rough dictate of a hellish tyrant, had perforce to subdue his passionate wrath, and to speak with affected humility and unconcern. We had hoped, he said quietly, that we might offer to your Highness such a proof of our loyalty that you would no longer wish to cast aside a city that hath always hitherto proved staunch and true. What mean you, sirrah? What proofs can you give me now of this accursed city's loyalty? When you harbor a veritable army of traitors within your walls, We would wish to prove to your magnificence That the city itself takes no part In the vagaries and plottings of a few hot-headed malcontents. Hot-headed malcontents, forsooth, exclaimed the duke fiercely, Two thousand men prepare to take up arms Against our suzerain lord the king arms concealed in churches and cemeteries, money poured into the lap of Orange and all his rebels. There are more than two thousand men who are prepared to fight and die for their country and their king," said the Fleming suavely, and who are equally ready to pour money into the coffers of their liege lord, as represented by His Highness Ferdinand Alvarez de Toledo, Duke of Alva, and by the reverend members of his council. This he had said very slowly and with marked emphasis, and even while he spoke he had the satisfaction of seeing more than one pair of eyes round that council board gloating with delight at the vision of treasure and wealth which his words had called forth. He and his colleagues had long after the assembly of last night discussed between them this one proposal, which might, they hoped, tempt the cupidity of the Spaniards, which they knew to be boundless. They were wealthy men, all of them. The town was wealthy beyond the dreams of Alva's avarice, and the five men who had been deputed to offer up a brave man's life as the price of a city's safety, had resolved to sacrifice their last stiver and keep the hero in their midst. But Alva, with a sneer, had already destroyed all the fond hopes which had been built upon that resolve. If you offered me every treasure to the last gulden contained in your city, he said, with emphasis no less strongly marked than had been the other man's offer, I would not deny myself the pleasure of raising this abominable nest of rebels to the ground. Why should I, he added with a cynical shrug of the shoulders, take from you, as a bribe, what my soldiers can get for me by the might of fire and sword? Orange alone would tempt me. For I would wish to have him alive. We might kill him by accident when we destroy the town. We can collect two million gulden in gold," said M. Denute insinuatingly, And lay that sum at the feet of your magnificence to-morrow. Ah, said the duke blandly, then I am greatly relieved That so much money can be got voluntarily out of this city. "'Your words, monsieur, are honey to mine ears. "'They prove beyond a doubt "'that if you can raise two million golden in forty-eight hours, "'my soldiers can put up ten times that amount "'in a two-day's sacking of this town. "'The money voluntarily offered, Monseigneur, "'here interposed the vice-bailiff, "'would shame neither the giver nor the receiver.' the destruction of a free and loyal city would be an eternal disgrace upon the might of Spain. Spare me thy heroic sirrah," quoth Alva fiercely, or I'll have that impudent tongue of thine cut out before nightfall. And once more the burghers had to bend their pride before the appalling arrogance of their tyrant. Be gone now, added the lieutenant governor, peremptorily, seeing that the Flemings were silent for the moment. The business of the state cannot be held up by such profitless talk, and if you have nothing better to offer to our gracious king than money which is already his, why, then, you are wasting my time, and had best go back to those who sent you. No one sent us, Monseigneur," resumed the procurator-general, with as much dignity as he could command, even though his back ached and his knees were painfully cramped. We are free burghers of the city of Ghent, which, alas, hath earned your highness's displeasure. We have offered of our treasure so as to testify to our loyalty, but this offer your magnificence hath thought fit to refuse at the same time we are not at the end of our resources or of our protestations of loyalty. We have yet another offer to place before Your Highness, which, perhaps, may be more agreeable in your sight. And what is that offer, sirrah? Be quick about it, as my patience of a truth is at the end of its resources. The procurator-general did not make immediate reply. Truly, He was screwing up his determination for the terrible ordeal which was before him. He hung his head, and despite his fortitude, probably because of weakness following on fatigue, he felt that tears gathered in his eyes, and he feared that his voice, now as he spoke, would become unsteady. The others, too, kept their eyes fixed to the ground. They could not bear to look on one another at this moment when they were about to offer up so brave and gallant a life in sacrifice for their city and for all the townsfolk. Indeed, Monsieur Denute, ere he spoke, forced his mind to dwell upon all the horrors of Mons and Valenciennes and Mechlin, upon all the women and children, the feeble and the old, his own wife, his daughters, and his mother, so as to gather courage for the task which had been imposed upon him. Thus there was silence for a minute or so in this narrow room, wherein the close velvet draperies made the air heavy, so that the number of men here assembled, Spaniards and Flemings and soldiers, felt as if an awful load was weighing their senses down. Councillor Hessels, as was his wont, had fallen asleep. He woke up in the oppressive silence in order to murmur drowsily, To the gallows with them all. Alva sat sullen and wrathful, looking down with contempt and scorn on the kneeling burghers before him. De Vargas, now and again, turned anxious, furtive eyes to where a rich portier of damask velvet hid a door in the paneling of the wall, even now it seemed as if that portier stirred, as if an unseen hand was grasping it with a febrile nervous clutch. It seemed, in fact, as if someone lived and breathed there behind the curtain, and as if all that was said and would be said in the room would find its echo in a palpitating heart. Anon the Duke of Alva's impatience broke its bounds. And you'll not speak, sirrah, he cried. Get you gone, get you gone, I say, ere I order my lackeys to throw you out of my house. Your pardon, Monseigneur," said Monsieur Danute with sudden resolution. I but paused in order to choose the words which might best please your ears. The offer which I am about to make to your highness, is in the name of all the citizens of Ghent, and I feel confident that your highness will gladly acknowledge that no greater mark of loyalty could be offered by any town to our suzerain lord the king. Speak, commanded Alva, next to the prince of Orange himself, said the procurator-general timidly, is there not a man who hath gravely incurred Your Highness's displeasure, but who hath hitherto evaded the punishment which Your Highness would no doubt mete out to him? Yes, there is, replied the Duke curtly, a man who chooses to wrap himself up in a mantle of mystery, a spy of Orange, a rebel and traitor to the King. There is such a man, sirrah, he hath several times thwarted, my projects with regard to Orange. If, as you say, Orange is not in Ghent, then hath that man had a hand in helping him to get away? Well, what of that man, sirrah? I want him. He is called Leatherface by my soldiers. What of him, I say? Leatherface is in Ghent, monseigneur, murmured De scarce above his breath. Come, that's good. Then will our booty be even richer than we thought? Leatherface is in Ghent, Monseigneur," continued Noot more steadily, But he is an elusive creature. Mysterious agencies are at work, so they say, To enable him to escape the many traps that are set for him. He swims like a fish and climbs like an ape. He entered the city last night, An hour after all the gates had been closed, in the terrible confusion which will attend the destruction of our city, he would escape again. But just now he is in Ghent, and— And you will deliver him over to me, broke in Alva with a harsh laugh, if I will spare your city. The procurator-general nodded his head in reply. His lips refused him service for that awful— that irreparable yes. The five men now no longer hung their heads, white as the linen ruffles around their throats. They were gazing straight into the face of the tyrant, trying to read the innermost thoughts of that inhuman devil, who held the destiny of their city, or of a brave man, in the hollow of his claw-like hands. Alva pondered, and while he did so, His prominent, heavy-lidded eyes sought those of his colleagues, no less inhuman, more devilish, mayhap, than himself. And from behind the heavy portier there seemed to come a long, drawn-out sigh, like some poor creature in pain. De Vargas frowned, and a muttered curse escaped his lips. "'How long has she been there?' asked Alva quickly, in a whisper. "'All the time.' replied de Vargas, also under his breath. But this is not for women's ears. Nay, your highness does not know my daughter. It was the man Leatherface who killed her first lover. She would be happy to see him hang. And she shall, too. She hath deserved well of us. We owe our present triumph to her. Then he turned once more to the burghers. I like your offer, he said coldly, and in a measure I accept it. Nay, he added with that cruel and strident laugh of his, seeing that at his words a certain look of relief overspread the five pale faces before him. Do not rejoice too soon. I would not give up the delight of punishing an entire city for the mere pleasure of seeing one man hang. True, I would like to hold him. Next to Orange himself I would sooner see that mysterious leatherface dangling on a gibbet than any other heretic or rebel in this abominable country. But to give up my purpose over Ghent, that is another matter. Once and for all, signors," he added with fierce and irrevocable determination, Ghent shall burn, since orange has escaped again but i have said that i accept your offer and i do i take it as an expression of tardy loyalty and will reward you in accordance with its value we will burn your city signors but if when your flaming walls begin to crumble about your ears when my soldiery have taken their fill of your money and your treasures, and human lives begin to pay the toll of your rebellion and treachery, then, if you deliver to me the person of Leatherface alive, I will, in return, stay my soldiers' hands, and order that in every homestead one son and one daughter, I, and the head of the house, too, be spared." Otherwise, and remember that this is my last word, not one stone shall remain upon stone within the city, not one inhabitant, man, woman, or child, shall be left to perpetuate rebellion inside these walls. I have spoken, and now go, go and tell Leatherface that I await him. He hath not aided Orange's escape in vain. He rose and, with a peremptory gesture, pointed to the door. The five burghers were silent. What could they say? To beg, to implore, to remonstrate would, indeed, have been in vain. As well implore the fierce torrent not to uproot the tree that impedes its course, or beg the wolf not to devour its prey. Painfully they struggled to their feet, roughly urged along by the soldiers. They were indeed cramped and stiff, as well mentally as physically. They had done their heart-breaking errand. They had swallowed their wrath and humbled their pride. They had cringed and they had fawned and licked the dust beneath the feet of the tyrant who was in sheer lustful wantonness, sending them and their kith and kin, guilty and innocent alike, to an abominable death, and they had failed, miserably failed either to bribe, to cajole, or to shame that human fiend into some semblance of mercy. Now a deathlike sorrow weighed upon their souls. They were like five very old men, sent tottering to their own graves. Some could hardly see, because of the veil of tears before their eyes. But even as, one by one, they filed out of the presence of the tyrant, they still prayed, prayed to God to help them and their fellow citizens in this the darkest hour of their lives. Truly, if these valiant people of Flanders had lost their faith and trust in God, then they would have gone absolutely and irretrievably under into the awful vortex of oppression which threatened to crush the very existence of their nation and would have hurled them into the bottomless abyss of self-destruction. End of chapter 14.